Uh, mm-hmm. But it was micro spikes the whole time. But the funny thing is, is I got out of my car and I was solo. There was a guy next to me getting out and he 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 asked me if I was Mike. And I was like, yeah, I'm Mike. So um, we he said he listened to the show and he was doing the same route as me. And I was telling him about how yeah, I'm going... I'm going clockwise because I heard about like these post hole stuff. So he, I was like, do you want to, I was hesitating at first. I was like, yeah, because he was, he said, no. Then I was like, if you want to like form an alliance and, and like join up, we can do that. So, um, we decided to hike, but I never know what to do with that because I was like, what if our pace isn't the same? And mm-hmm. What if I annoy him? And what if he's a serial killer? I, I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness. follow-up on episode 86, which was when we did the story about the incident of the hiking group in Arkansas. And I, I, I don't know, did I mention this before, but the guy reached out to me? Wait a minute. The is subject this, of the, this the, the guy that got in trouble? This is the, the gentleman that got, um, he got found guilty right. of collecting money in the national forest. I mean, technically, yes. the way the... the the news headlines called it as he was running an illegal guide service. I think his argument would be he wasn't, but okay. he reached out to me after the show, so he listened to it. And uh, there was a couple of other people that had reached out to me. There was a couple that reached out to me yeah. to basically defend him and just say that there's more to the story that we didn't know about, that the news didn't have. And then there was a couple of people that reached out and were like, yeah, this 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 group is an issue or whatever. So... I offered the guy, I said, look, if you want to either talk to me just separately and I can I can add something to the story or even if you want to come on, I'm happy to do so. But I haven't heard back since. Huh. Like we, he reached out to me when I was in Florida and I was like, look, when I'm getting back, I'll reach out to you and we can catch up. And I just, I reached back out and I haven't heard from him. But Well, that'd be an interesting we, conversation. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I mean, what I said to him over the notes, I said, look, I'm open to whatever. I said, you know, I don't know if anything you could tell me would change my perspective around how the management of the groups were done. I think even more so, less so the day that the gentleman passed away, but the week before where 
they had decided to all keep hiking when one of their one of the people was injured and they left the husband and wife together to figure it out. That was sort of to me the the one that stood out to me. But I, I don't know. Maybe there's more to the story. But hmm. I just thought that was interesting that he he listened and they were laughing. One of the people in their Facebook group was like, um, "I think it's really funny that those guys don't know what a bluff is." Uh, and I was like, "I just, I don't know what a bluff is. We don't use that term except for artist bluff, but yeah. it's just a ledge." I well, guess. now we know. I mean, uh, come to find out, artist bluff is exactly what it is. It's a bluff. <laughs> It's like a yeah. mini crag, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's something you can fall off of. Exactly. That, that's for sure. Anyway, um, Stomp, another question I had for you that you hopefully can answer. There's a, I caught a thread today. Somebody tagged me in a thread about the Fish and Jimmy Trail, which is the trail that comes up to the Kinsmans. So, um, sure, from Lonesome Lake. Yeah, exactly, from Lonesome Lake. So they tagged me because they were like, does somebody asked, like, does anybody know the backstory? on um, Fish and Jimmy. So I have my handy dandy place names of the White Mountains. Mm -hmm. So they tagged me and I, I, I have it, literally this book sits on my desk. Mm -hmm. And um, I gave the whole history of the James Witcher guy who it's named after. And um, everybody was talking about how they hate that trail. And I've been, mm. I haven't been on that trail for probably like five years. Yeah. The Kinsman's I've only done once, which I got to get back up there. I've done a couple of Everybody hates it. Fish and Jimmy. Do you you have any insight on this? What, what's going on there? Well, I think two things in particular. Um, first of all, rescues are not fun on that trail, and I could tell you why. There is several ledges that are fairly sleep and, and slick, and but there's also these big, larger than usual puds. Which, if anybody knows what a pud is, it's a purposeless up and down. Um, so after you leave Lonesome Lake Hut, you end up uh, traversing a bunch of those puds before it starts getting steeper and a little more treacherous and it's pretty lengthy uh in general um that's sort of my understanding of it from people i've i've talked to and just my experience on the trail nothing out of the ordinary though i mean there's lots like it so who knows yeah well i'm gonna have to go check it out mm. but that'll be a that's on my daughter's list for the four thousand footers so that will be a Probably like a springtime or early summer hike yeah. for us. Well, yeah, just just to tack tack onto that, um, the cannonballs. Have you done that, Mike? I've only done cannon the route that me and you went in last October when I did the four thousand footer and the yeah. the fifty two list finish. So it's it's part of Kinsman Ridge Trail essentially, and uh, there's three cannonballs. And if you're coming down the south side of Cannon, you can zip right up and over them. But at the top near the top of Fishing Jimmy before you get to the um, the hut, um, you can tap into the cannonballs there and traverse over towards Cannon. It's a really neat little hike. I mean, you can you can just do it as a loop from Lonesome Lake Hut, and it's a really nice day. Not too extraordinarily difficult, um, but it makes for a nice loop above and beyond the, uh, the AMC hut there. Right. Yeah, I'll it's neat it stuff. Out. Awesome. Well, I wanted to just start the show off when I was traveling. I got a little bit of time to sort of poke around Reddit and normally on the White Mountain subreddit, there, there's usually some interesting stuff on there, but I don't go on too often. Usually like somebody posts and there's like 10, 10 comments and then that's it. Mm -hmm. There was a thread over the holidays when I was flying, I was reading it. 
and uh, it was unpopular opinions white mountain version and this this thread had like 400 comments and there's some pretty good stuff in there so i wanted to just run through some of the, the so unpopular opinions people basically saying like these are things that um you know you hear all the time but um, the, i have a contrary view to it um so I thought, Lynn and, and Stomp, that it would be interesting to run some of these by you and get your reactions. So sure. there's a lot of them, but I think we can go through pretty quickly. Oh, boy. Oh, can I just say one thing? Yeah. Um, people may have been expecting Ty, but there was a little glitch. So Ty Gagney will be on next week. So just so you know, because I, I had advertised Ty's uh, presence for this Friday. But uh, next next time, next episode, sorry for the... Uh, confusion everybody but we are so glad yes, to have yes. Lynn here Lynn is uh, a staple in the community and um, she has her hands in everything uh, <laughs> essentially but we'll get to that <laughs> yeah it's awesome yeah yeah and can we just can we just say that like the the technical issues were not mine this time ha <laughs> I know it's like I have a new uh f- term for it it's the curse of welch diggy <laughs> yeah yeah and it's not it wasn't ty's fault either so you do the math <laughs> no and ty was so patient he's a, he's a cool dude yes. but anyway we got it worked out all right all right so unpopular opinions um there was a comment that um the white mountains need more wildlife specifically mountain lions and wolves hmm. <laughs> So, do we have any thoughts? I feel like I, think the, I don't think that accurate. the habitat is large enough for. I don't think it's large enough for wolves, right? Because they would just kill everything and then starve to death. I don't know. I need to know what demographic is asking this. <laughs> I don't know. It's just some random people on Reddit, so that's that's a bad demographic. But, but Lynn, I will say that there was a mountain lion that was killed in Connecticut. So they're they're here. People don't want to admit it, but they're definitely around. That is a huge debate in circles in Connecticut, whether or not there are mountain lions there. And I think I'll reserve my opinion so that uh, we keep the haters at bay. Yeah, well, I know for a fact that there was a mountain lion that was hit by a car in Connecticut probably about 10, 15 years ago. Um, But anyway, so more wildlife. Um, I don't think mountain lions or wolves are ever going to happen, but... um, that was a request. Now, these next few are um, around sort of just hiking in general. So the next one is climbing all the 4,000 footers is not that big of a deal and that it's just walking. <laughs> so, Stomp, I don't know what your thoughts are there. <laughs> They're basically trying to diminish the accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I It depends on who's saying that, I guess, but I would disagree. The 4K uh, list and that accomplishment is certainly notable and a momentous achievement. And uh, it's certainly not just walking. Mm, a sizable percentage of those trails and those particular mountains are ass kickers, to say the least. So, yeah, disagree with that one. Okay, yeah. And you guys, I know you keep asking me, like, who's saying this and I want more back. This is trolls on Reddit. So this is all that I got. <laughs> it's just trolls on Reddit. So, um Here's another one. Most hikes in the whites are completely reasonable to hike with a water bottle and sneakers. 
Absolutely not. Yes, I disagree on that one. You can put the shame drop in there, Stomp, on this one. Will do. Um, you had me speechless. Yes. Here's another one. So I'm sick of everybody fear-mongering when giving advice. So I'm, I feel personally attacked by this one, but um, I think what they're talking about is like sometimes people will ask like pretty basic questions like, you know, I'm hiking Franconia Ridge and... You know, a lot of times you'll get people that are like, they're asking like what direction to go in and then you'll get a bunch of people on there that'll be like, you better be prepared. The weather can be really bad. And I think sometimes, you know, you want to lead with the answer to the question and then gently put in the the cautionary tale. And I think sometimes people lead with the caution first. Hmm. I would love to see folks be a little bit more receptive to receiving good advice. True. Hmm. Yeah. True. As long as it's not terribly unsolicited. I like when people, when the experts or the more experienced hikers chime in. Um, I think it's good for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, this next one, I think they're talking about stomp on this one. So influencers are insufferable. <laughs> nice. Nice play in that one. I think this one cuts both ways. It depends on the influencer. You know, there are some that yes. are fantastic and then some that are just... Absolutely insufferable. <laughs> no question about yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Do you? Do, who do you think is insufferable, Stomp? I can't say because I piss off <laughs> a lot of people. Uh, sorry, oh <laughs> I'm not going oh, there. I tried, <laughs> listeners. I tried. I tried to get the tea. So, um, here's another one. If you're complaining about crowds, you're part of the problem. <laughs> I love that. That's me. I'm part of the problem. I guess I have to re- yeah. recuse myself from this one because that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think I brought this up the last couple of um, shows where I've, I've been hiking like Whiteface Pass Conway um, and that that sandwich range area and I think like the Ferncroft parking lot like you can go where the crowds are up to up to Blueberry Ledge or you can go down to the Kelly Trail and you won't see anybody all day go up to Square Ledge do that whole um, system of trail so it's really just stay away from the most popular 4,000 footer hikes and you'll never see anybody Mm -hmm. yeah agree (laughs) I spent the whole summer in Evans Notch. I didn't see a single person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can find really empty places pretty easy. Yep. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, this next one, 52 with the view list is way better than the 4,000-footer list. I 100% agree on this. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, but yes. is it way better? <laughs> I, well, it depends on what you're interested in. From my perspective, I feel like it's way better because like, you always get a view and there's way less crowds. So that's my criteria. Huh. There's about three A's in this spelling of way here and way better. So They're emphasizing it. So. Um, this next one is the lists need to end so this person doesn't like lists. I don't... I think they're fine. It's a goal. It's something to go after, you know, like your own hike. (laughs) Yeah. It spreads everybody out. So, yeah. Um, Keeps you motivated. So I could. Yeah. Yeah. Summer hiking is worse than winter hiking. Hmm. I would have to agree. Unfortunately. Heat, 
I've uh, come to like winter hiking better. Yeah. Yep. People. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> it all comes back to Do you to know, people. I was, um, I was filling out my grid list to just see, I was like, let me see how many, where I am. So I'm like 20% done with the grid, but I noticed like my hiking in June, I've only done like four, 4,000 footers in June. So I think I avoid that like beginning of the summertime because of the bugs and whatnot. So I think I sort of do agree that winter's better from the perspective that you don't have to deal with bugs because that's my least favorite thing to deal mm -hmm. with. But I think any hiking's good. I don't care about the season so much. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Here's another one that I'm not happy about. Hiking in the, this is going to trigger all of us. So everyone sit down. Hiking in the whites is way easier than out west. Lots of hikes out west require multi-day ascents. And um, the person did say they were like, it's way harder logistically out west, but the trails um, do tend to be harder in the east. So what they're saying is like, if you want to do like a bunch of hikes, like it's a, it's a logistical nightmare in the west, whereas in the east, they can pretty much drive up and do whatever you want. Why would you disagree? Because I'm in the east. So I, I just, <laughs> I value like my, my mountains more than the people in the west. I mean, the, the last part of that phrase makes sense. I, I just don't really have an opinion. I've never really hiked out there. Um, so I, I would say that there's two basic differences for me. One is that out west, sometimes trails are a little bit farther out. So to get onto the John Muir Trail, for instance, you have to take a trail that's between 6 and 15 miles long just to get onto it. Um, and there are tons of switchbacks yeah. out west, which you don't really see many switchbacks here in the whites. Gotcha. Makes sense. That is true. That is true. So, um, yeah. This is a very specific one. Lynn, maybe you have some perspective on this. Uh, the climb from Gilhead to South Twin is not that bad. And Garfield Ridge is also not as bad as advertised. <laughs> so when I did the twins, I didn't go across to Galehead. We did uh, Zealand down to all the bonds and then up to the twins. Um, so we did it in a Y shape. So I didn't traverse to Galehead. Okay. Well, I did this with Stomp. So we went down from South Twin to Galehead. I've also gone up it. Mm -hmm. And I think... First of all, this is where Stomp sprayed himself with like beer spray and was pretending that he it didn't bother him. So he definitely had a, a tough hike. But I think I think there's a bunch of rocks that are like they're not easy to just like step down. You have to kind of jump down or climb up. So yeah. it is hard. And the Garfield Ridge was a nightmare when we did it. Stomp. It was like a waterfall that we were getting soaked on. Mm -hmm. So it is. Oh, those totally. are tough trails. I think this one cuts both ways too. It's like if you're in the middle of a Pemi loop. And then you're you're going counterclockwise, and you have to hit that ascent. That's that's tough. But if you're at you know just coming up from like Gale River or whatever um, to the hut, and then going to Twin or or but down, it can be actually a nice, enjoyable but challenging, brief little jaunt. Like similar to um, Carter Carter Hut Carter Hut up to the top of Carter Dome. That steep ass. Oh, yes. it's awesome. It's steep as hell, but it's, it's like, it's over before you know it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's another one we did. You took me on a blizzard and almost killed me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oops. Good stuff. 
All right. So um, here's this next one is, so anyway, like I think the only way to judge this is to take the trail yourself. Gail had the South Twin and then Garfield Ridge. Um, Next one is, uh, these people on Reddit are miserable. Parking on the side of the road should be banned. Huh. Why do you care? I understand. Well, I mean, um, a good example would. But how do you handle it? Well, like, consider the notch. Like, that's a dangerous situation. I couldn't agree more with this one. Um, you know, thankfully they put up all the barriers and and cones and everything else, and people have to take the the trolley to get back and forth now from Cannon. But it was just a safety hazard. If that's what they're referring yeah. to, then I totally agree. Yeah. Um, here's another mountain forecast is garbage. <laughs> I love mountain forecasts. <laughs> I do too. I like, yeah, I, it's just another tool. What's the problem? It's, yeah. Yeah. You can oh take what you want out of it, but uh, it's just another tool that's uh, certainly useful. Yeah. I mean, you run down the list, you do Mount Washington observatory summit, uh, higher summit forecast, mountain forecast, NOAA, mm-hmm. and then your Apple, weather app and i don't know what android people do but um mm. i don't know here's another one all trails is bad agreed <laughs> i don't i've never used it so i don't know you know what annoys me about all trails if i'm doing research on a hike that's the first thing that pops up and you click on it and there's like zero information about the thing you're looking for it happens so often it drives me crazy you paywalled. Do you use all trails, Lynn? I don't mind using it. I do. Uh, to be honest, I use it to look up trails or to maybe even track. But the problems I find is that it's terribly inaccurate for tracking purposes. Um, distance. I don't think it takes the hypotenuse of the hike into consideration. So your mileage is off. Hmm. And for me, as an Apple user, I actually looked into this. Um, all trails often will shut itself down. I don't know if it's a part of battery saving or whatnot. And so it'll stop me mid hike. And no matter what I do, I can't get an accurate track. So, you know, I've submitted trails. I've used it before, but I would never rely on it as a sole uh, mapping. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, later in the show, we have a, like a, um, we're going to break down. There was an interview with um, one of the CEOs, um, talking about these apps as well but i use gaia it's been bulletproof for me i've never had an issue i don't know anything about all trails so i can't speak to that um but this next one is um and i feel personally attacked here just because we see each other on trail it does not mean that i want to talk to you (laughs) oh god so i mean i always say hi to everybody Uh, oh boy yeah stomp is Um, being antisocial yeah, I am pretty much. I mean, I, I try to just say good morning or whatever or whatever. It depends. It varies. It depends on the hike and the day and whatever mood you're in. <laughs> yeah. We were talking to people on the trail this weekend. Yeah. We had these nice nice three ladies came up and I did a dad joke. She was she was like, uh, how you doing? And she said, oh, I'm just happy that I'm here. And I was like, it's always better to be here than over there. But I don't know where over there is. I just said it. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for the punchline. And I was like, I need to remember that line because I'm going to send that to my kids and tell them I did a dad joke out on the trail. And they were just rolling oh, their eyes. So. That's pretty bad. 
I'm still trying to figure it out. Painful. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't make any sense. When I said it, I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. You must have been uh, hypothermic. No, I was fine. And the lady was so nice because I'm growing a beard. And she was. She commented that there was icicles dangling off my beard. So I was so proud. <laughs> you were actually perspiring. I guess. <coughs> I don't know. Oh, can I tell you one thing about this last weekend? This is anecdotal, but... Um, Rusty Talbot, he did the uh, Franconia Ridge Loop, and um, I think it was Sunday, maybe Saturday, but anyway, long story short, he said he's never seen as many cars and people on the ridge as he did this day. He said he had he must have passed like 49 plus people uh, up and over the ridge on a, a midwinter like day with snow and cold conditions. Wow. He was amazed if wow. not horrified. <laughs> so isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. But anyway, um, this person does not want anyone talking to them on trail. So I guess grunt and don't make eye contact with this one. Um, the next one is rescue should always be free and handled by paid staff, not volunteers. So that's, they're going after you storm. <laughs> I mean, I don't think this person has any clue about like how yeah, I would, search and rescue works in New Hampshire. Yeah, I would disagree. I mean, is this thread a national thread or is it local to the whites? This is White Mountain specifically. Specific. Yeah, okay. Just want to yep. double check. Huh. And we talked about this before. Like the volunteer organizations allow rescue operations to scale when they need to scale. Like there's sometimes when you need to have 40, 50, 60 people out on the ground, you can't have 50 COs available to do a rescue at any, at a drop of a dime, like you can with the rescue volunteer infrastructure that they have. Hmm. You're so waiting, anyway. waiting for me to expound and I'm already on the next one. I'm like fascinated by the <laughs> like, next one. All right. So this one, you'll, again, I'm attacked here. This is another one. Um, go back to Massachusetts. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been reading that line over and over again for the last two minutes. Like, oh, wow, what a beautiful how, sentence. <laughs> how dare they? You're originally from Mass. Um, the next one, Mount Lafayette would make an amazing ski resort. And then the person also had commented, which I think is interesting, that um, they made a mistake back when they placed the ski resort at Cannon. They really should have done the ski resort on Musilaki from Route 112, and that would have been a much better um, place to put a ski hill. So, Interesting. Huh. Better yeah. conditions, perhaps? Yeah, which I think I kind of agree with, like, Cannon's a little too steep, I think, right? Cannon's Musilaki rough. would be a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, Moose, Moose is a rough place, too. You know, it's the first in the line. Um, it tends to get battered. I've, out of the several times I've done Moose, at least like 70% of the time it's been really wild conditions yeah, yeah. Hmm. alright this next one I, I just want to remind the listening audience that what we're going over is what people have written on reddit this is not our suggestions we're reacting to them so I just want people to re remember that so this next one <laughs> no, no dogs belong in the mountains hmm. yeah I would disagree with that for sure which is bullshit yeah. Total disagree. I need to see dogs on my hikes. There's people that count their dogs that they see. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I saw one happy dog on the hike uh, this weekend or this last weekend, but um, I, I always love to see dogs. So um, the next one, the AMC workers are great, but the parent organization has turned into a rich person's club. Um, so, and then I've got another one here where somebody else had tagged in and said the AMC should be renamed the Affluent Massachusetts Club. <laughs> Oh, so I have to I don't know. accuse myself from this one. All right. You have any opinion on this, Lynn? Yeah, let's let's let Lynn get in trouble. I'm put her in. No, on, so. absolutely no opinion on this. <laughs> right, well, I guess I'm going to have to be the one. So I think <laughs> I think that um, <laughs> if the AMC is nonprofit, I'm assuming they're nonprofit. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Um, I think that they the perception that they have high administrative cost and high um, leadership cost and that they're sort of in that sort of ivory tower in Boston is not a good look for them. And they may want to consider sort of what the optics of that are like, especially when they're going to be charging significant amount of money for stays in their hut. But I also like defend AMC because they're on the front line of a ton of um, search and rescue activity you know, they're always helping out and they also, I think, you know, young people working there, it's a great life experience for them. So it's, it's take the good and take the bad, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Anecdotally, I mean, I've seen people complaining about the, uh, rates probably more so than anything else. Nobody would disagree about the, the assistance that they provide. Yeah. Uh, but rates does tend to cross the, the feed quite a bit. Take it for what it is. Yeah, 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 exactly. As a matter of fact, I think I was talking about the rates because I was pricing it out, and somebody came at me and was like, "You, you got the wrong rates or something." I was like, "I don't know. I, I apologize then." So if I got the rates wrong, but I do know it, it can be pricey. Hey, but it's also look at the cost of eggs now. <laughs> There's a reason I for it. Those yeah. steep prices. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So the next one, feeding the gray jays is fun. Oh, totally disagree. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. So I'll go. I'll go on this one. I'll go. Okay. Um, this is such a tough one, but you know, I think it's okay to say that you used to be in a place of not knowing, and now you're you've you're in a place of knowing, and so you've changed your behavior. Um, I have fed the gray jays in the past. And as I learned more and more about, you know, leave no trace and um, I've really tried hard to encompass everything that, you know, that leave no trace talks about. And one of those things is obviously not to feed the wildlife because, you know, you, I don't even think I need to mention the impacts it could have on the ecosystem because they become reliant on human mm -hmm. food. You know, you see that with bear population and in, in totally different ways, but you know, um, we're teaching them to sort of accept that um, instant gratification as opposed to going out and hunting and teaching their young how to hunt. So it has a lot of negative implications. So I've done it where I just put my hand out. They come, they land on your hand once or twice and they fly away once they realize there's no food there. Um, but, you know, you could pick up a small pebble or a stick if you really think you need something. But otherwise, don't try not to feed them. Um can help mm, it. They're all getting fat. I know. And I, and I know it's so fun to get the videos and I do it, you know, I've done it before, but I, I've learned and now I don't. Mm. 
Oh God. I know. I, um, I had two of them on isolation and I named them. I was like, one of them I named Fathead because it was so big. Um, and it is fun to feed them. And I, f- I fed them and definitely like, if you scour social media, you'll definitely find some Gray J pictures with my hands in them. So guilty. Um, Evidence. I'm learning to do better in the future. So. Jeez. So anyway, um, leave no trace. That's what I say. Um, right. <laughs> the next one here is most people who can, and I, I think I agree with this. Most people who carry ice axes in the winter don't have a clue on how to use them. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> Couldn't agree I more. Know. I mean, I've definitely talked about like, I want to get an ice axe to look cool. So I understand. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, if you're in search and rescue, uh, it, that would make sense because you're having to go off trail and get into weird pl- places that it could really come in handy. But otherwise, for most of the, the trails that you're on, you really wouldn't need it, even above treeline, uh, if you're doing a list like the 48. Um, and yeah, most people don't know how to use them. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're getting to the end of this here. So Pemi Loop should be paved. That's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> they want to they basically build an auto road around the Pemi. Um, beer bells are useless, which True. I agree with. Yeah. It's just annoying. Um, I feel like if you're wearing beer bells, it's like the equivalent of a Bluetooth speaker. Um, Owl's Head is great, which I agree with. Um, I think Owl's Head is fine. Uh, the slide is not fine, but the Owl's Head itself is fine. You don't like that? I think Owl's Head gets a bad rap. I love Owl's Head. I mean, the slide's wicked cool. Yeah. My issue with the slide is that um, I feel like with the slide, you should have the payoff at the end. Owl's Head, the slide... You get the payoff in only the Only ends with like more, way more steep stuff. <laughs> I was going up there and like, I remember when I went up there last time, like little foot, the little girl was like all the way up the top and I'm like, I couldn't even breathe. And she's sitting there like petting a dog laughing. And I was like, oh my God, I got to step it up here. I'm out of shape. Mm. See, I think the- um, She's incredible. The, um, yeah, she is. The payoff with the slide is that you get the view of Lincoln, Lincoln slide and um, you get that awesome view with that one point and then you get up to the viewless summit um but just the views from the slide itself are worth going out there in my opinion i mean yeah yeah i'm i gotta go out there this winter so um i've only ever done it going down the lincoln slide so for me like i'm done with views by the time i get to the slide the owl's head slide because i've already seen them all on the ridge huh yeah um I want to bring a drone to Bond Cliff. I get that. Oh, I get that. But it's legal. Can't do that. Can't do it. I can't do it. So that was it, Snom. So that's a pretty good thread. I'll link that in the show notes. Um, one other thing that came out of that thread that I wanted to give you a heads up on, Stomp, mm-hmm. is somebody had talked about, uh, and I don't know how it came up, but somebody was talking about how there is an old, there's an abandoned trail to Galehead that got wiped out in the 1930s, which brings you to a waterfall, which is called Hitchcock mm-hmm. Waterfall. Okay. So I figured like you may want to do a little bit of research on that. I got a feeling, you know, who knows about this stuff is probably the teal goat because I think he's been bushwhacking around there quite a bit. Yeah. I'm trying to look up. What's it called again? Hitchcock Waterfall. And it's a, it's a, a galehead trail that was wiped out in 1930 during a hurricane. Hitchcock Waterfall. Okay. I do not see that on my list of lost and abandoned trails so yeah interesting huh 
I'll have to do some digging. Um, all right, so we're moving on here. So Mount Washington Road Race Lottery opens up soon, so we'll include the link in the show notes there. Mm-hmm. Me and Stomp are both putting in. Absolutely. Lynn, are you going to put your name in, yes or no? Uh, maybe. Can it be a maybe? <laughs> She's a maybe, um, <laughs> which is good. So we'll find out. And then um, there is a new uh, fishing game course being offered for women specifically. It is called Become an Outdoor Woman. And um, I mean, I guess anybody, I mean, maybe it's open. If Stomp, you want to become an outdoor woman, you can do that. I guess. Um, <laughs> let's, let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's on Saturday, February 25th, and we'll include the link. And it's going to be at uh, Fishing Games Owlbrook Hunter Education Center in Holderness. And the participants will focus on um, one outdoor activity during the day-long workshop. So choices include winter hiking, winter survival skills, snowshoeing, wildlife tracking, and shoe and shoot. Sounds pretty cool. Hmm. So uh, registration opens on January 16th, and you must be 18 years of age. And there's a fee of $85. So it sounds like there's got like four or five different workshops. Sounds very, very cool. It does. Um, this next one here, matter of fact, I haven't looked at this, but 48 Peaks for Alzheimer's has launched their 2023 site. So Lynn, do you know anything about this? I might. I might know something. Um, yeah, so Alzheimer's Association uh, this year again is doing the 48 Peaks for the Longest Day Hikes. And uh, registration is open now on the website. It's alz.org forward slash 48 peaks. And you can get registered starting now, join a team or create your own adventure or team. Yeah. Cool. All right. Do we know, do they have like a a goal yet on what they want to do for fundraising or they just. Our goal. Yeah. Our goal this year is $250,000. So just little higher than uh, what we did last year, which was just over 238000 was our grand total. Mm, okay. Very yeah. good. I got a feeling you're going to smash that. Probably, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I've had correspondence with um, some of the folks, and the question is, Mike, do we want a slasher team this year to participate? Yeah, we probably should. Yeah, we could. Do I have to do any work related to that? <laughs> no, you just got to walk. <laughs> I just, if I can just tell you can show up, I'll do it. And I'll, I mean, it's just like walking. Yeah. Well, maybe we can put a poll up and see if uh, people are interested in us doing that. Um, yeah. And then Stomp, you have something here, Hiker Celebration Party at Reckless on June 10th? Oh, that is for... You know what that is? Wait a minute. That's yeah, for our. That's, that's for the Alzheimer's Forty Eight Peaks. And yeah, then, that's yep. those. Are, that's a little sub thing there. So, June tenth at Reckless, it's going to be a celebration for the event, and um, it ties into what we just talked about. Right. Many of the Forty Eight Peaks hikes will occur on that day, but they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're coordinating with uh, the tenth, where most of the hikes will be. Yeah. Okay. And it will be in the Pint House, from what I understand. Okay. I believe so. Out, you know, out back in the area where you're live taping, if I'm not mistaken, back there. Yeah. It's a cool spot. Yeah. Great. Um, And then speaking of Reckless, congratulations to the Fantasy Pants podcast. Steve from Reckless is involved in that. Stomp has been on there. They are killing it. They reached their uh, goal of a thousand listens. So. Mm 
congratulations to them. Hard work has been paying off. Dungeons and Dragons is very niche, but it's very good that they, they get some traction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're doing a really Great. nice job. Congrats. Awesome. All right. So a couple of stories here, Stomp. I think I'm going to skip these first two and then um, get right to this. Uh, there's a 50,000-year comet coming soon. It's 230 feet wide. Mm-hmm. And are, are we all going to die? No, no, no. You we won't die, this. but we will no. see it um, pretty prominently. And um, <laughs> as it passes, it's just more or less just the the ice and uh, everything else that creates a hell of a, a tail to observe. So the dates are pretty soon yeah i believe it's 21st to 22nd is a great time to look at it because the full moon is coming after that so just be aware of that but keep a keep a lookout we'll put the link up and you can check it out it's not good not good Fifty thousand year comet you know, Game of Thrones when when the comet showed up, that's when the dragons were born and all the all the White Walkers showed up. It was a disaster. <laughs> this a is not disaster. good. Oh my goodness! <laughs> disaster. Oh man, nothing good happened. Oh, you know what? So. Well, technically, this is Friday the thirteenth. Technically, oh right. Jeez, I was just I was just gonna add in here that could be a really cool buddy hike, a nighttime hike up to like Welch Dickey Overlook or. Uh, artist bluff or whatever to see this thing that might be sort of cool to do oh god i don't know <laughs> you've got too much going on well i, I mean out in the woods during the comet that's when the, <laughs> the, the white walkers came for the game of thrones for the first time it's not it's not a good idea all right let somebody else be the guinea pig all right well so, speaking of buddy hikes um when this show comes out we will be hitting Pierce uh, the next day on Saturday. So want to tell us a little bit about this, Mike? Oh, my God. Speaking about your another baby. disaster, here we go. <laughs> your baby monster. <laughs> yeah, my baby monster. No, I think we're ready to go. We are so organized. Um, so, yeah, we're doing the buddy hike on Saturday morning. We have um, people going to get pissed at this. Like, we're probably going to get a lot of people saying, like, we shouldn't be doing this. But we have 30 people. Uh, but it's not all, we're not all going at the same time. We're spreading it out so that we're going to be there at different times over the course of the day. So and the weather over looks the course mint. of the morning, but yeah, well, the weather looks good. Oh yeah. Weather looks absolutely fantastic because the storm that was forecast has moved forward, uh, towards us. So we're getting it now a little bit of rain tomorrow, Friday, uh, which should, should compact some of that, uh, new snow. But, uh, yeah, Saturday is like high of 28, so a little cool, but most okay. you know partly cloudy. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I think it's going to be crusty snow and stuff. But yeah. everyone has snowshoes. Um, I laid down the law. I was basically, I talked about parking to everybody. I clarified the meeting place. I told them about the weather. So it was like probably like half the people are like new winter hikers. Yeah. I like told them about the weather. I was like, we're keeping an eye on things that, you know, Thursday, Friday is going to be sketchy. I said, it may be rainy or whatever. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it, but we're going. So we'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, you know, from gear perspective, make sure you've got um, micro spikes, snowshoes, good boots. You've got gaiters, a base layer. Talked about like a fleece, a down jacket, shell, multiple pairs of gloves, water, the whole thing with um, 
um, decent sized pack. And then we also have extra snowshoes. Not everybody has snowshoes, so we'll bring an extra for people. So everyone's going to have snowshoes. Hmm. And then we're going to start as a group, stay together. We're going to have each group is going to have a lead, a sweep. And then we're also going to have a, um, a person that's basically dedicated. Like if somebody's somebody's really struggling or they're not feeling it or whatever, then we'll have somebody a, can head down. We have three experienced hikers in each group. And we're basically the, one person will be the ripcord. If somebody says like, hey, you know, I'm not feeling it, that will turn that person around and have them go down with the experienced hiker and and slowly go down there so that we can keep going. So we've got all everything ready for contingency. What am I doing? <laughs> you're like um yeah, you're like probably going to be a sweep. You you're going to be you're going to be babysitting Shandy, I think is what <laughs> you're going to be doing. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, she's the babysitter. Yes. I'm not a babysitter. Well, she's got a business we'll babysitting. <laughs> That's true. She can That's true. Babysit me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 7:30 at the Trailhead Stomp. Um, oh my god! Make sure you're there. Seven thirty. Hey, then, she's got her EMS now, so yeah, that's what's so good. cool. Congrats! It's not easy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I haven't figured out is, um, you know, I never hike with people, so I'm always solo. So if I, if nature calls, <laughs> I just do my thing. But like, we're gonna have a bunch of people. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do if nature calls. <laughs> that sounds like a you problem. Well, Mike, since since. <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of ladies in my group. Like it's gonna be awkward. Oh yeah, you better work that out. <laughs> yeah, but leave no trace. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Two hundred anyway. feet. Yes, two hundred <laughs> feet. Well, I don't. Hopefully, that won't be a problem. But it's the other kind that I'm worried about. But hmm. anyway, um, we'll see how it goes. We're gonna go to Reckless <laughs> afterwards, and I think ultimately, like my advice to people, if you want to learn to winter hike. I think going with a guide service, you know, Northeast Mountaineering, Redline Guides, amazing. If you can afford it, that's the way to go. This is probably, if you can't find a personal friend that knows what they're doing, then I think these groups seem to be a good way to do it. I'm no expert. I'm not a guide. I don't know everything. I probably know 5% of what these guide services know, but I would definitely check out those guide services if you want to learn and you don't have any resources but mm -hmm. hopefully we'll get people that are interested in, in learning more and this is a good exposure to them yeah looking forward to it <laughs> yep yeah uh all right stomp coffee donations anything good yeah we have uh laura eli donated three coffees thank you laura and uh fred donated five and um they just gave us compliments as to the show and if I remember correctly, I didn't take a note on one of them, but um, I think one of them was when I'm hiking, I'm listening, and you know when I'm driving, I'm listening. So uh, it's it's really pretty cool. We're uh, I think we're almost at the 150k point for downloads, which is pretty neat. So super appreciated that everybody's uh, hanging in there with us and listening. And then you have notable. Are we doing notable hikes now? Are we doing that after I do the intro. Yeah, we just have one. Yeah. So Nick Hikes okay. and Plays Guitar tagged us. And um, if you want to um, be considered for the Slasher Notable Hike, just tag us on your post on Instagram and we will mention you. And uh, generally Mike picks his favorite of the bunch, but this time we only have one, so that's an easy pick. But uh, Nick uh, tackled North and South Twin 
and uh, had some really beautiful pictures and talked about his dad. Um, I'm assuming based upon the post that his dad had done the hike as well. But uh, nice work, Nick. And thank, thank you for listening. Okay. Well, welcome to episode 88 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we're highlighting a couple of recent hikes, including hikes on Middle and South Carter and a bushwhack that stomped into Flume Peak. We also want to welcome, I think, welcome back, Lynn. You were on the show before, right? You were on the show when Reckless, right? Briefly, uh, when you did your live taping, yeah. Got it. So we're going to welcome you back. So welcoming back our friend, Lynn Sweezy, who is an outdoor leader, photographer, and all-around creative person, who is an avid hiker and backpacker. Um, so Lynn will join us to talk a little bit about some of her recent exploits and hikes, and then we'll ask her some questions about her volunteer work with the Alzheimer's Association. She's already given us some info on that. So, um, And then later in the show, we'll discuss in a, in a recent interview that happened with um, a, a CEO from Fishing Game um, that was a participant in a number of the recent fatality rescues around Franconia Ridge. So we'll break down a little bit of details about his perspective on uh, safety in the White Mountains. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. And I'm wondering if you mispronounced your last name. <laughs> did I say Sweezy or Sweezer? You did it right. It's it, My actual last name is Sweezy. And uh, <laughs> my moniker is Sweezer, Sweezer Outdoors. Yeah. Oh, got it. Tricky, tricky stuff. <laughs> I think when I sent you that that letter that I did Sweezer, and then I realized, I was like, wait, it's Sweezy, but that makes sense on why I would have made that mistake, because I wouldn't have made that mistake on my own. That was your fault. I'll let it pass. Okay. <laughs> Either <you>. are acceptable. <laughs> Very good. That's awesome. Hey, um, before we get rolling, we have a sponsor to announce, CS Instant Coffee. Zero waste instant coffee that comes in compostable packets. Perfect for the trail and home. Check them out by going to www.csinstant.coffee. Awesome. Awesome, yeah. I'm definitely gonna be using some hot coffee when I'm hiking in the hiking in the cold weather this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea actually. Did you tell folks yeah, about that? Yeah, I always Bringing hot liquids? I did. I told people to bring hot liquid, to bring a thermos. Don't worry about the weight. You'll, you'll enjoy it when you get up there in the cold. Good. Um, all right. Any beer, Stomp? Anything you're drinking? Yeah. I am enjoying an orbital elevator from one of my top faves here, the Burlington Beer Company. Um, it's just a, it's a double IPA. Delicious. And you? I'm just drinking water. Haven't gone shopping since we got back from the New Year. Haven't gone, gotten any oh. beer. So, um, just water. I got it. Anything for you, Lynn? Uh, as I am nearing seven years sober from alcohol, I am drinking hot cocoa tonight. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> there you go. Very good. So, one beer out of the three of us. So yep. <laughs> it is what it is. I will be back on the. I'll be back on the beer train next week. I think. <laughs> the beer train. Yes. Um, so recent hike stomp. Uh, you want to talk about your, you, so you did some weird bushwhack off of Greeley Pond. Is that what you did? It is a, you know, it's like I, I talked to you a little bit about how I wanted to get out to do Mount Kangamangus, 
which is east of Greeley Ponds, and it's a 3,763-foot peak that's on the 500 highest list. And my plan was to do some recon, and it's pretty simple, but I, I scaled it back because it had just snowed and it was looking pretty damp. So I decided to do some additional uh, recon a little further south uh, for this beautiful, it's like I've seen it so many times, just sort of nestled in between uh, Scour, uh, the, the Scour, the cliff off of Livermore Road. And um, it looked awesome and it's called Flume Peak and it's a bushwhack. It's not on any list, but it's just super, super cool. So essentially I went up uh, Livermore Road uh, out of Waterville and that whole trail system is so different now. It's like you have Kettle's Path, you have Irene's Path and all this and that. Uh, essentially you're taking the trail that's after the Big Pines and uh, coming up to the Scour and then you're descending maybe 100, 200 feet into this area called the Flume, which is a really neat sort of gorge-like um, area with these massive boulders. Uh, it, funny, Steve Smith was just up there actually a couple of days after I was up there and uh, had posted some of the, the areas that I had seen. And then from there, it was just like a 400, four, four or 500 foot ascent to Flume Peak. Um, so it's a neat area. If you continue on with that trail after the scour, by the way, it connects out to, um, let's see, the scour. Yeah, it leads out to the trails that lead up to the scour peak and the tri-pyramid. So this is a really neat underused area if anybody's interested in exploring some new terrain. I'm looking at the map right now. It looks like a really steep cliff section to the the west, but approachable from the east, you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like open woods. Um, If you take the trail, the trail continues, um, as I'd mentioned, away from the Scour towards um, Scour Peak and the Tri-Pyramids. And off of that trail, you can just dive off anywhere and get up to Flume Peak pretty easy. Yeah, it's a nice area. But... Mount Kangamangus, that's the next, it's, it has my attention. So I'm going to tackle it from the south. Very good. Well, I was up on, um, I'm working on the winter 4,000 footer list. So I was up on Middle and South Carter. Luckily, I got some intel on the night before uh, the teal goat had gone up that done that. He had done it counterclockwise, mm-hmm. had given me some intel about, you know, the, the fact that there wasn't there wasn't any snow really and um, he had said that there was it was postal city coming down like North Carter and imp so I decided to go clockwise and go up the imp trail and then up North Carter and it was as advertised it was just like postal um, mm-hmm. but it was microspikes the whole time but the funny thing is is I got out of my car and I was solo. There was a guy next to me getting out, and he 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 asked me if I was Mike, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm Mike." So um, we he said he listened to the show, and he was doing the same route as me, and I was telling him about how yeah, I'm going, I'm going clockwise because I heard about like these post hole stuff. So he, I was like, "Do you want to?" I was hesitating at first. I was like, "Yeah," because he was he said no. Then I was like, "If you want to like form an alliance and and like join up, we can do that." So. Um, we decided to hike, but I, I never know what to do with that because I was like, what if our pace isn't the same? And mm-hmm. what if I annoy him? And what if he's a serial killer? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
my goodness. I got to tell you, it's like you can take a chance. I mean, like I think about me meeting Nobby that time when I was yep. going to do the, the Pemi Loop and um, he's become a great, great friend for all of us. He's such a cool guy. But yeah, I mean, I guess there's a chance it could have gone really bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I figured I was like, my, my thought was that like, we're going to go into the, the um, Camp Dodge. So you cut through Camp Dodge. Um, which I apologize. I think I think in the summer they tell you not to do that, but in the mm-hmm. winter I guess it's okay. But anyway, um, we cut through Camp Dodge, and I was like, "This is if he's going to kill me, this is where it's going to be, right?" So um, we God. made it through there, and then I realized that you know the pace was fine and the conversation was great, and it turned out exactly like you. I think I found my knobby. So hiker Steve, Aww. you're my uh, my new hiker buddy. So, but it was perfect because he was talking about how he's doing the winter four thousand footer, and we have a bunch of like peaks that we need to get. So I got his number. We're texting. I sent them some pictures. We're buddies. Aww. It's great. I took a chance. Cute. Wow. Yeah, it's super cool. I did get the sense from talking to him that he liked you a little bit better than me. Though, so I didn't. I wasn't thrilled about that. Uh oh. Buddy, buddy competition. I was a little bit jealous. I was a little jealous, but anyway, but uh, the Carters are fun. It was some t- sketchy sections. Like there's like a little wall going up middle Carter that w- took us. So it was like a little bit of a puzzle. We were trying to figure out. Um, we had to dive into the woods a couple of sections, but overall it was, it's a pretty straightforward hike. We saw maybe three or four other groups. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, um, you know, who, you know who I think we saw? Who? Lynn, matter of fact, you would know the Notch Hostel, their dog. Delilah. We saw, I'm pretty sure we saw, um, is it Serena? Serena Ryan. Yeah, she's the owner. She's fantastic. I didn't, I didn't, re- I didn't call it up, but Steve had, after they passed, he was like, I'm pretty sure that that's the dog from the Notch Hostel. So I missed a celebrity. Actually, well, I know that the video won't do much for the listeners, but I happen to have the sticker of Delilah the Notch Hostel dog. <laughs> oh, you have a sticker? Yeah. yeah. Delilah the Notch That's funny. Dog. Yeah. So she, she's yeah. got her own sticker. She's adorable. Yeah, yeah. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that, that we did see them. We saw a couple, of, I mean, we saw that other group where I did the dad joke and um, there was another guy going up to Mount Height, which I was going to do. And then I was feeling a little tired. So I decided to bail on height, mm. but that's a great hike. I've had communication with both of them uh, over the last few months and um, we definitely plan on getting them on. And um, if if Serena and, and Phil are listening, uh, Philip Carcia, um, we'll definitely have you on soon. She was, was sort of backed up and Whatever, hang tight. Hopefully, we'll get you. That's going to be, be a good show. Up. Very good. Yeah. yeah, we've been getting hit up by so many people. Actually, this is the first time since probably the start of the show where we've had six or seven weeks of topics uh, ahead of time. Like, uh oh, it's getting busy. <laughs> Great. It's wild. Good yeah. Stuff. All right, Lynn. So, any recent hikes you want to highlight, Lynn? That you, I know you've been out. You went to Mariah. I know that, but anything else? Yeah, absolutely. So, I yeah, we did Mariah with um, Team Littlefoot, and that was just uh, the most amazing <laughs> hiking experience. One of the most amazing I've ever had to watch her hike. You know, her tenacity and how how uh, how meticulous she is. Um, it's just incredible. So, I got to hike with that team, and uh, also I did Wombeck 
couple weeks ago. That was with uh, Eric Todd Sweet and Shandy. Um, Pete Warren was with us. And uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we enjoyed that hike. I was with Cindy also from the Alzheimer's Association. She and I spent the weekend at the Notch and did a few different hikes, saw Phil Karsh's talk, uh, his fireside chat. That was incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, so it was a great weekend. Sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. Not only is it uncomfortable, sweat is a risk factor causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. And Mike knows about sweaty backs. Check out Vaucluse's Cool Dry Backpack Airflow Frame. A backpack, I'm sorry, I had to add that in, Mike. <laughs> Check out Vaucluse's Cool Dry Backpack Airflow Frame a backpack accessory that installs in your favorite pack, size 18 liter to 65 liter, and creates an airflow gap between you and your pack. Whether you're in hot or cold temps, even if you have a pack with a curved frame, the cool dry frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow. So visit vaucluesgear.com, that's V-A-U-C-L-U-S-E gear.com to order a cool dry frame today. And Lynn, Lynn's also like a uh, a tried and true with the Vaucluse gear. You, you really enjoyed it, right, Lynn? I definitely did. Um, I received the frame a couple of weeks ago, or just before the holidays, I suppose. And yeah. I've taken it out on, gosh, three or four good hikes now. I did Monadnock with it, Mariah, Wombeck, and Flume Gorge. And um, I have great. to say, yeah, um, yeah. I guess just out of habit, you, you kind of reach back with your arms to sort of, what's the word I'm looking for, to air out your back a little bit. And so in doing that, I noticed there was nothing there to air out. Um, I wasn't sweating. There was a cool breeze on my back, but it never got hmm. to the point of, you know, sweating and then causing um, moisture to sit there. So I absolutely loved it. Yeah. That's great. So why don't you um, introduce yourself, talk a little bit about how you've gotten into hiking and backpacking and anything else you think might be of interest. Sure. Um, so I guess you know that my name is Lynn and uh, I live in Connecticut. <laughs> I live just outside of Hartford. More or less, I've been hiking my entire life. If you know Connecticut, um, I grew up right next to Sleeping Giant. So um, it's, a, it's a small local mountain and, and looking at it from the side, it looks like a giant who is sleeping. So it's pretty neat. Those are my home trails. Um, and then a few years ago, I took a deep dive. I had a friend of a friend who was hiking the Appalachian Trail in a, in a through hike. And I said, geez, what are the chances that she would adopt me onto her hike? And I just threw out the question. I said, could, could I come for 10 days? Wherever you are, I'll come to you. Uh, just give me an idea of what I need to do. And mind you, I had never been overnight backpacking in my life. I had only done day hikes up until then. 
So I uh, did just that. She said, absolutely, come on down. And it just so happened that she was entering the area of Virginia, which is known as the Triple Crown of Virginia. And it includes McAfee Knob, Dragon's Tooth, and Tinker Cliffs. Um, hmm. You can you can do it a few different ways. We looped it from um, a hostel, from Four, uh, Four Pines Hostel. And so the loop took, I think, two two days. Um, you could do it in a day. But um, so we did 10 days north. And the way we did it was uh, drive the car, so- uh, excuse me, drive the car north and then shuttle south to your beginning point and then hike to the car. So, yeah, that was my first introduction. Um, I, you know, I got what do they call it? Not trial by fire, uh, in- induction by fire, something like that. Um, and all the through hikers kind of gave me a shakedown and they, they ripped about half of my pack apart and said, get rid of these, the 50% of this right now. Um, cause you're going to die in a day. If you try to carry all this, you don't need four compasses, um, you know, things like that. So I think I, I got a pretty good immersion education in, into backpacking in that time. Um, absolutely loved it. And, uh, along the way, we met a third hiker, uh, Stealth, who I'm still very close with. And the three of us girls uh, carried on a 10-day hike. It was wonderful. And then they continued after I left. <clears throat> so 10-day hike. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I figured why not just give it a whole go and <laughs> really experience it. So I learned quite mm-hmm. a lot of things and um, immediately did a lot of things differently when I came home and did some more backpacking. Awesome. And then do you have like in the, in the white specifically, do you have certain hikes that are your favorites? Do you go after certain lists? Do you have any backpacking trips that you've done specifically in the whites that you, you highlight? Yeah, I really enjoyed a uh, presidential traverse that I did um, in the same way. That was the first time I had hiked really in the white. So 4,000 footers um, was to complete a traverse from Webster to um, Pinkham Notch. So that was uh, just over two days. Um, we overnighted at uh, Madison Spring Hut and uh, ended at Joe Dodge. So that I really loved. I prefer longer treks. I prefer to be able to backpack my way over two, three, or four days. Um, so I enjoyed that. I think I mentioned before, uh, my friend Haley and I, we did a Zealand Bonds and Twins Traverse. So we added the twins onto the typical Z-Bonds. That was about just over 20 miles, I would say, uh, 5,000 feet of gain and six 4,000 footers in there, um, along with Guyot, Gio. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know what's the right pronunciation. I just I think it's Gio. Yeah, so... Stomp says Gio, <laughs> we'll go with that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> So I went to high school with someone with the last name Guyot, and it was spelled that way. So, but <laughs> I'll go with the French pronunciation of Guyot um, for our purposes. <laughs> Guyot. 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 No, if you're, do you know in general, like if people come to the Whites from Connecticut, is it because it's such a, you know, it's a longer investment in the amount of time that you have to drive? Does that just tend to force you to just do more backpacking or overnight stuff? I think for me it did and does. 
because to get to Lincoln Center, it is a four hour drive. So, you know, it can be tough. Uh, I think only one time have I actually done it in a single day and I would probably never do that again. Um, the drive home was it's pretty bad. <laughs> I was sleepy, so I had to keep pulling over pretty often. I think it took at least six hours. But anywho, I do think that is part of the reason for doing the little bit longer hikes, just the distance. And um, lucky for me, I have some really good friends up there that allow me lodging and <laughs> take me out to eat, things like that. So pretty lucky. Yeah. Awesome. So you had... Um you had a pretty good shakedown through the through hikers. So that's a big benefit when you started backpacking. But can you talk about like, what was besides the four compasses that you brought with you? <laughs> what mistakes did you make early on when you started getting into this? And what issues have you had on the trail in the past? Some of the mistakes I made. See, I, I more or less knew not to wear cotton. And that might have been one of the only things I really knew. Um, I absolutely carried way too much food. If there was a way for me to estimate a little better, I would have. But um, what happens to me traditionally on a multiple day hike is I don't eat right away. I can't eat. I eat very light. And then the hiker hunger, depending how long you're out for, maybe hiker hunger comes in in a couple few days. Maybe it doesn't. But I found that I eat a lot less than what I traditionally pack, but I always pack for more than what I think I'm going to be doing anyways. So um, hmm. I guess it's just an overall thinning out of everything. I had two or more of a lot of things that I just didn't need. A couple extra whistles when I had the whistle on my pack. Um, the first aid kit was just huge. Like, you know, there was no need for a handful of Band-Aids um, if you yeah. have duct, duct tape. <laughs> so... Just little little things like that. And then all the tricks, like wrapping your poles with a little bit of duct tape to have some on you. Um, just small little things that you wouldn't think to do unless you'd been around through hikers who've done it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And then have you ever had any scenarios where you're like, um, I think I may have to call search and rescue? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I did have... A situation in the whites last year. It's um, I was talking about it on Facebook today with Mike Maciel, and uh, we were talking about the bog south of Mitzbahut. And so when I was yeah. in the <clears throat> yeah, I was in the middle of my presidential traverse, and my foot went into that bog. We had been warned about it. The Sobos they warned us. Here's where it is. This is where you'll fall. Do not step there. And um, because I'm a photographer, I had my camera in hand. I just wanted a picture of the bog. I just wanted a video of the, the footbridge. I really love footbridges. And um, just as my hiking buddy is saying, watch out for the bog, I'm saying, I'm not going to fall in. And in that moment, phone in hand, I fell into the mud bog with my entire leg all the way up to my hip. Um, couldn't get out on wow. my own. It, it, yeah, it was, that's deep. It was really scary. If I didn't have a person with me, I'm not sure exactly how I would have gotten out. Cause the ground all around me was fairly soft. Um, I, you know, maybe my trekking pole, I could have caught on to something, but it took a lot of effort for him to keep his feet on solid ground and reach out, pull me up with his hand, get me out of the mud. Um, and it just so happens that since I was recording, I handed off the phone to him 
um, in about the snarkiest voice I've ever heard myself use. (laughs) (laughs) And so he, it just kept recording and we have most of it on video. So yeah, that was a close call. Um, I didn't get hurt. Everything was fine. And, you know, we cleaned up and carried on and told the story at Mitzvah Hut that day. But um, yeah. We'll add that video to the show uh-huh. notes. I do. I have it on my YouTube. I'll I'll give you the link. <laughs> yeah, let me know. Let me know. And then, and then, in fact, something similar happened to me. Like when we, me and my friend Tom were doing, we did a hike in Grafton Notch, and we got up over the Mahusic Arm, and it was like raining. It was a, it was like a tough hike. And before you get to Speck Pond, it's like a flat, boggy section, and there's some of those bog bridges. I think that's where it is. And I stepped in, same thing, went all the way up to my hip. I thought I was just like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll take one extra step before I actually step on the bog bridge. And I went in like it, it's, it's kind of shocking. It was a it was a strange feeling when there's nothing below your foot. So I think my pack had kind of stopped me um, from going further in and with nothing under your foot to sort of grab onto. It was a really odd feeling. Um, and yeah. so that's actually how I got my my trail name. Uh, from that little debacle. And What's the trail name? That? <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> she just set us up. Muddy like hip? We had to ask. I can't, yes. I can't believe you'd ask that. Um, the, tra- the trail name is Buttercup um, from the Princess Bride. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. So if... Very inconceivable. Nice. Yeah, if you know this scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she she gets pulled out of the quicksand, and it was it was a lot like that. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. There was a meme going around like last year, where it was like, um, I thought quicks quicksand when I was a little kid, quicksand was I thought quicksand would be a much bigger part of my adulthood because <laughs> you know every TV show in the seven like Gilligan's Island, every episode had someone falling into quicksand. Yeah. So. Anyway, um, all right. Well, that's a good one. So you didn't need search and rescue, but you came close. Um, what about, so you're pretty well networked and I get the vibe that you're a social person. Um, can you talk a little bit about, from your perspective, what are some ways that you went about sort of meeting people, getting involved in the hiking community, Um and then sort of your perspective, if you, maybe you're someone that's an introvert, what do you, what would be your advice for people to, to sort of start networking and making some connections? Sure. Uh, one of the first ways I made friends in New Hampshire was the hiking buddies page, you know, so I jumped on a couple of hikes there. Um, there were some folks from Connecticut that I knew on that group as well. So, um, just networking within friends to start, you know, uh, friends brought friends on the hikes and subsequently I have, um, an entire, an entire entourage of people in New Hampshire that I love to hike with. Um, you know, I would say, you know, if you're an introvert, get a friend who's an extrovert who will pull you out and do these things honestly is the best advice I can give. Um, because if you're not really willing to just do it on your own, um, just find a friend that you trust, say, can you help me? I, I really want to do this, but I need a, a one buddy. You know, I need to have a partner in doing this. So I would say look out for your introverted friends and try to help them into these uh, settings. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the thing too is the hiking community is actually pretty small. Once you start to get to know people, you're like, oh, it's the same people over and over again. So, um, <laughs> 2.5 million <laughs> visitors a year. <laughs> yeah, is that Frank? Yeah, it's the same, like, not that small. <laughs> the same 200 people on Facebook over and over again. Yeah. anyway um what about hiking goals do you have any hiking goals like are you working on any list do you have any like world travels planned or what what's your what's your bucket list right now i definitely have a hiking bucket list um it does include finishing the 48 although i'll say uh, while it's a priority i'm i'm a little bit far away from it so i don't mind if i have to take my time doing it it's a long-term goal for me um in the next few years, maybe call it by the time I'm 50, in the next 10 years, I would like to, uh, I'd like to hike the PCT. I'd like to do a through hike out there. Um, maybe eventually the AT, but um, I've sectioned out quite a lot of it um, from uh, Port Clinton, PA North. So I would like the experience of seeing uh, the PCT and, you know, to get ready for that, I'd like to just do some more smaller through hikes, like maybe the long trail or, um, you know, Metacomet, Monadnock, Sunapee, something like that, just to hmm. kind of get some more ideas going. Uh, excuse me, a little more experience. Um, maybe we can set you up with Cheswick. <laughs> heck yeah. Heck He'll give yeah. you some pointers. <laughs> I'll take them. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now, can you talk a little bit about your work? So you are, you know, you do um, marketing and you're involved in, you know, a a couple of outdoor um, organizations, both from a volunteer perspective. But can you talk maybe a little bit about your work and then maybe some interesting trends that you see in the outdoor industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I've recently transitioned from um, an entire career in sales and marketing uh, over to becoming a freelance uh, artist and writer. Um, I do anything from administering a couple different businesses on the back end um, to SEO uh, optimized, which is optimized uh, blog writing. I also do some graphic design, photography, and most anything related to um, brand promotion or social media promotion whether it's creating the content, creating the writing. Um, I like project management. I have an affinity to um, coordinating and organizing. So, yeah, um, right now I'm just I'm enjoying the, the clients that I have and hoping to gain a few more and really build this out into a, a business that I can take with me remotely wherever I go and, um, you know, hopefully carry me through the rest of my life. Awesome. Awesome. And then, um, you are, you know, you do a lot of photography, you do a lot of video work. You've got a, do you have a pretty active YouTube channel at this point or is it just more of a hobby for you? I would say I have a YouTube channel. Um, I wouldn't say it's exactly active. Um, although I try my best to upload things that are, I don't know, mildly funny and maybe educational sometimes, but, um, mostly I'm just having fun. Uh, the ideas come to me randomly or experientially based. So, um, yeah, I've tried to turn something that's just been a passion of mine for a long time, which is documenting and telling stories 
and turn that into something a little bit more professional and adapt to the needs of, you know, the changing markets. Got it. And then can you talk a little bit about your, your gear? Can you talk about like what for backpacking, what do you use for a pack, a tent, your sleep system, footwear, clothes? We, we want to know the details. Ooh, the fun stuff. Okay. All right. All right. Yes. This is my, this is my jam here. Um, let's see. So for a tent, um, I typically use a big Agnes tiger wall, UL two bike packer tent. Um, the bikepacker part was sort of a future thinking that I might um, eventually take a ride and do some backpacking, which still could happen. Um, so right now that's Big Agnes. My uh, primary sleeping bag is a Nemo Riff 30-degree uh, bag. And if I need to get colder, I'll just use a liner bag. Or, um, you know, I, I have uh, a sleep system of layers so I can add or remove a layer or two if I need to. Um, let's see, footwear, pretty much an ultra lone peak hiker for the most part. Um, I do use uh, zero boots, zero with an X. Um, and I'll say about that, I recently had what I think is a waterproofing failure and their customer service was remarkably good. So I'm actually expecting my new pair of boots next week. It was just a full replacement and they'll take mine back and see if they're suitable for donation. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much what I stick to for a pack. Um, my favorite pack is my Osprey kite 46 and that's, that was my original backpack. It'll probably always be with me. I'll never get rid of that pack. Um, it's so perfect for me. And, uh, for longer hikes, like I did, uh, part of the John Muir trail, Last year, I used a Granite Gear Blaze 60 liter pack. So out there, you uh, mandated to carry a bear canister. It can't be an Ursac. It can't be, you know, it's got to be an approved canister. So the Granite Gear pack was really good about being able to store the, the, the canister just below the brain and right on top of your pack. Um, and I, I stored that empty and then packed in the food. So for a larger pack, I like the granite gear. And then anything smaller, I have, a I think, a 40-liter REI trail series and an 18-liter Osprey, you know, just like a day hike pack. Nice. Okay. And then with your tent, so you use a two-person tent for yourself. Um, do you have any thought? Like I had kind of gone back and forth when I bought mine. So I have a, a quarter dome one person tent and my perspective was I'm typically only doing like weekend overnights maybe max and I'm like I don't really need the extra room to put my stuff in I can just sort of manage it by putting it into the um you know to the uh I forget what that's called um but vestibule that's it so do you have an opinion between getting a a two-person tent versus a one-person tent i was just going totally like i want to go as light as i can i will say that for the difference in weight i mean you might be i'm not quoting the website or anything but i can't imagine that it's more than a half a pound of weight savings between the you know the one and the two for me personally um i like to have a little bit of room once i'm in my tent so, you know, to kind of spread out, I've got three or four different stuff sacks that I use, um, my, my uh, hygiene kit, things like that. So I like that I have the room to spread out. Do I need it? You know, absolutely not. If I wanted to shave 
weight, I would go with um, a one person. But, you know, also I had in mind that I might bring a buddy with me and that buddy might not have gear. So um, I'm able to put a second person in my tent. And I also have um, a couple of hammocks I can take with me if I want a hammock. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of hammocks now. Uh, it's definitely heavier than a tent the way I'm doing it anyway. But um, <laughs> for comfort, I'm, I'm a huge hammock fan. But I'm also not doing a week or two weeks at a time, my perspective would be different if I was doing longer trips. So. Do you use an under quilt on your hammock? I have. I just got one, um, like probably like a fall, you know, it's, it's good, probably down to about 30 degrees. And then after that, it's, you know, I got to put, I would probably need something heavier, but yeah, I just started doing the under quilts. It's, it's a little tricky because you do need to get full coverage underneath you and setting it up. Like it takes some practice and I'm not perfect at it at this point, but, um, that's the other thing about a tent is that it's very quick. Like for me, I can get my tent up in like two seconds versus the hammock is a lot of fiddling with the underquilt mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the tarp and all that. So it, but sleeping comfortably in the hammock to me is, it's way more comfortable for me than, than the, uh, the tent. Yeah. I love hammock sleeping, just cocooning in or, you know, the uh, diagonal lay is, is really the technique to sleeping in a hammock. Um, but I also found that with the under quilts, if you leave a little teeny bit of room between you and the quilt, you know, you kind of allow that air, air underneath you to warm up a little bit. So I found that yeah. to help a little. Yeah. 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 And I'm a mess. Like I try to do that diagonal <laughs> stuff, but like I, I curl up in a little ball. Like I, I, I probably have like some primal <laughs> issue stomp where I, I've got to do my little, um, fetal baby sleeping position. So it's good for the. Good for the hammock, but anyway. Um, but then, can you talk no, about? No, no, the... no! Don't move on. Tell us more. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I got issues. I just I curl up in a little. I curl up in a little ball when I sleep. You just Wait, so throw out these little tasty nuggets every now and then. You're like, oh, let's just move on. What's that called? The fetal position. I sleep in the fetal position. Listen, I have a trick for you there. So what I like to do is I okay. use my trekking pole and I put the rock cap on it, the rubber cap. And I open it up, yeah. you know, a third of the way or so, and I and I open the hammock up with it above my head. Does that make sense? So, like, right where the yeah, bug yeah. net meets the hammock, I open up the trekking pole just tight enough so that it's holding the, the hammock open a little. And then you can hang things from it. So you can, you know, hang your okay. headphones or, you know, whatever you want, your socks if you need to hang it and you don't want to hang it on the, uh, the guy line, then... Yeah, that's my trick. Yeah, that's a yeah, good that's idea. Cool. That's a good idea. So we're going to have to have like a full show of um, hammock camping. I, I know that people that are into it are very into Heck it. Yeah, so that's a good idea. It's a big debate on the, the through hikers between the hammock campers and the tent campers and the, the shelter rats. Let's do a social media poll to find out. Yes. <laughs> um and then the work with the, so we talked a little bit about the Alzheimer's Association, but can you talk a little bit about your your role with the group and, um, and what they have coming up? Absolutely. So my role within the group is I'm a volunteer on the committee that coordinates and steers uh, 48 Peaks for the Longest Day through the um, Massachusetts and New Hampshire chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. And uh, what that means is I just help out in, in the behind the scenes. We're doing social media posts. We're engaging with uh, participants, helping with questions, doing things like arranging the 
hiker celebration, um, you know, whatever might be needed to, to make an event, you know, get off the ground. Um, I work with about seven or eight other really fantastic women. Um, it's all women on our team as it were. And, uh, actually we, we just recruited a new volunteer and you might know who she is. Her name is Shandy. Wow. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so we've recruited her to uh, volunteer with us a little, you know, in her free time, which I don't know how she has any uh, with all the things she does. But um, so beyond that, uh, you know, I really love what I do. Uh, Last year, we coordinated a lot with the hiking buddies. Um, So, you know, this year, uh, we're just looking forward to um, having participants sign up and hike and enjoy their time and raise awareness uh, and, and money towards Alzheimer's research and, uh, education. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. The crew does an amazing job. So we'll definitely be, um, talking more about that as it gets closer and stomp. We'll have to open up our pocketbooks and do some donations as well. Make a team. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. So last question I have for you, Lynn is sort of famous, favorite tourist spots in like Lincoln, North Conway, other areas in New Hampshire, anything, any restaurants, any secret spots that you want to share with the listeners? Definitely. Uh, whenever I'm in Lincoln or pretty much anytime I need a place to stay, you will find me at the Notch Hostel. So absolutely recommend going there if you need a, some lodging for the night or the week. They're fantastic. Um, there is a little place. It's um, it's next to Burgeon Outdoor, um, which I should have mentioned in my my gear list that most of my layers involve some kind of a virgin outdoor <laughs> uh, something. So, but right near Virgin is a cafe called I think it's called the Moon Bakery, um, and they okay. make the most incredible sandwich. I tried it for the first time last time I was there, and if I remember, it was uh, like sliced turkey with like a blueberry compote. Um, Green apples, uh, a couple other things I can't I can't recall arugula maybe, but it was just out of this world. So if you want a really cool sandwich, um, and I think they have things like uh, gluten free options, and I think they're pretty inclusive of dietary needs as well. Okay, awesome. We'll check it out. I'll pull the website on the uh, the show notes for people to check yeah. it out too. I posted a video on our uh, Facebook page, and we can we can put it in the show notes. But uh, White Mountain TV had gotten a chance to interview Sergeant Lopashansky, a Lopashansky, who is one of the CEOs for Fishing Game. Um, he's been involved in a couple of these recent uh, Franconia Ridge rescues, and uh, matter of fact, he his wife went viral with a photo of him leaving to go out on a 
a rescue mission on Christmas Eve at about 9.30 at night. So um, Sergeant Lopeshansky was on White Mountain TV being interviewed and uh, gave his perspective on uh, a number of things related to safety and sort of gave his breakdown on possibly, you know, why we're seeing an increase in some of these fatalities up on the ridge. So I thought it'd be good to break down a little bit about what he talked about and just get your perspective. Great. Okay. So a um, couple things that come out, and we've talked about this, is you know, Franconia Ridge is very accessible, um, but it is an, it's a long exposed ridge. And, um, you know, he talks a little bit about sort of the social media impact and that it's a badge of pride to hike there, that it's great to get, um, you know, summit photos, but like those photos and those images on social media really don't give a full picture of the the risk involved and the the scope of you know, going on the ridge. And mm-hmm. I think that's true because I think everybody that goes on the ridge the first time and you look across from whether it's from Little Haystack or from Lafayette and you look across at the distance you need to travel, you know, it's a significant distance that you need to go where you're fully exposed above tree line. And I don't think that necessarily people connect that when they see pictures. So mm-hmm. that was sort of his perspective on why it's why it's such a common area for people to get in trouble. Oh, even from the highway, it looks like, oh, it's right there. Piece of cake. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, then he he did get into this recent rescue that happened on um, Christmas Eve. He talked about how the phone went dead, that the relative in China was uh, monitoring him. He, he said that um, Lieutenant Nealon got a call at 9.15. Um, Lieutenant Nealon then activated uh, Lopachansky and another CO. Um to head out. So that's when he left on Christmas Eve to get out to Franconia Ridge. He had his gear and everything. His wife took a photo, posted it on Facebook, and then it went viral talking about how, you know, this is sort of part of the job and the risk that goes into it. And, you know, he's giving up his Christmas Eve to go out and try to rescue somebody. So, um, you know, they had made the decision based on the data that they had for the information they had from the relative and the data that they had from the tracking that the relative had been doing. They decided to do a reverse hike where they went up falling waters based on the last known location, which makes sense. Um, you know, from Sergeant Lopachansky's view, he basically says, like, Based on the information that they have, they'll come up with a plan. They don't make any assumptions. He says people are tough to predict. Sometimes they'll do exactly what you think they're going to do, and sometimes they'll do the exact opposite. So he's like, we come up with a plan, and we stick to it, and we just don't make any assumptions. So it sounds to me like their plan was up falling waters, come across the ridge, look for signs. you know, And that's basically um, what they did. Then he got into a little bit of a discussion around like, you know, what is some good advice for not getting in trouble? He immediately sort of came through and said like solo hiking is the most, in the winter is the most risky activity that you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he suggests hike with a partner. Um, you know, he did preface that by saying like, look, there's some people that have a lot of experience and they can do it and they know what they're doing. But for the most part, if you can hike with a partner or a group, it's much safer than doing it on your own. Um, he typically, he said that, you know, for them, they'll typically look at what the Mount Washington Observatory weather is, and that basically is going to mirror what's on the ridge for conditions. He said when he got up there, 
zero degrees. The winds were pretty solid, but he said probably 35, 40 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So um, he calls Franconia Ridge like basically Everest without the altitude, <laughs> you know, so it's that, that sort of risky. It can be. Um, yeah. It can be. He talked about how there was two additional commanding officers or, or conservation officers that headed up um, falling waters and then cut across via the, some of the drainage and came up. So basically they had four people. They had one going up, two, two people going up to a little haystack, and then they had two coming up the drainage. Walker? Um, was it Walker Brook? I'm assuming, yeah. yeah, from falling waters. Well, no, I don't. I don't know what the I don't know what the drainage is from falling waters. So, okay. Um, he did talk about sort of sweat and layering, and how um, when you go off trail, it's really a trap, and that a lot of times people will think like I'm going to take the most direct route to get myself out of trouble, but when you're off trail. It can take an hour to go a mile, depending on the snow conditions. You can be stuck in post holes, spruce traps, oh, yeah. all kinds of mess. Yeah, for sure. So you're better off trying to stick to the trail if you can. Um, you know, they did eventually locate the body through, um, you know, they located tracks up above. They were able to locate the body um, and, you know, the, the, the hiker died of hypothermia, um, you know, and he talked about how it's a common behavior of hikers to get off trail. They go down, and generally, you know, they're typically found in these drainages. And again, he emphasized like solo hiking is just very dangerous, especially if you're not experienced. Um, mm -hmm. He said they haven't typically run into a lot of issues where people are getting in trouble because of their physical condition, but these last two incidents that they've dealt with are um, based on you know, people being under-equipped for cold weather. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, drainages look like trails, too. Yeah. yeah exactly. Easy to mistake. Um, yeah. Yeah, then he pivoted. He talked a little bit about Emily Sotelo, who <clears throat> was um, the search and rescue mission a couple of weeks before. Um, he said, like, he didn't want to second-guess anything, but he said that the issue there was that there was some snow squalls that came in around noon that were a complete whiteout, I suspect, and I don't know, but I suspect that there were whiteouts coming through probably even earlier than that. No one knows, really. Uh, but he said, seemed like she turned back. Um, the area that she was in is just a big rocky mess. Um, you can't make your way through it in a whiteout. He went on to talk about how it's critical to have a handheld GPS. He said, don't navigate with your phone. He called out um, not using GPS apps on your phone, that they just die. Mm -hmm. The battery's not reliable. He said, handheld off a satellite plus having a paper and a compass and a second person. So it's critical. Um, he did confirm that the Christmas Eve incident, that there was some sort of a light source. This was interesting, Stomp. What he said was he wanted to test, when he was tracking the person down, he wanted to test whether or not the person had a light source. And the way that he did this is when they were out there, they would turn their lights off and then follow the trail in the dark the, that they're they're tracking, and then that would tell them whether or not it was obvious if the person themselves had a light. And he basically said, he's like, there's no way that this person could have found this trail and done this direction without having some kind of a light hmm. source. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, I suppose it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah, so, but he said, you know, his pack doesn't leave uh, the truck without a headlamp. Um 
he circled back around again to say, like, again, the solo hiking, he he talked about how um, we live in an area that has some of the most amazing and experienced guide services, you know, anywhere. And he said, there's courses, there's guided hikes, we've got these amazing guides, and that we should be taking advantage of them. So, you know, we've talked about the guide services around the area as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or, uh, you know, just a basic first aid class, wilderness first aid understanding as a as an individual is very, very helpful. Yeah, so um, he gave a shout out to the volunteer groups, talked about how we're blessed in New Hampshire to have, you know, amazing volunteer groups. I think this incident in on Christmas Eve and to Christmas Day, they didn't really need to activate anybody because they had, you know, one of the good or bad. I mean, it, did, it wasn't a great outcome, but, um, you know, the fact that they had the last known position that was pretty accurate, obviously, help them out in the fact that they didn't have to activate a big search team for it. Hmm. Yeah. Still a strange story. <clears throat> Such a shame. Very strange. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's just trying to get the word out. So I think my takeaways was, you know, don't go solo hiking, especially if you're not experienced. He talked about, um, a little bit about gear too. And he just said like the, the, you know, the, the clothing and the gear that these folks had with them was not, um, you know, it's, it's critical that, you know, you need to have life-saving gear with you and that, um, that wasn't the case here, but, um, you know, it was an interesting interview. I think it's worthwhile for everybody to check it out. I'll include it in the show notes and, um, you know, huge shout out to him, his family, the sacrifice they make, um, you know, his wife's social media post went viral and it is like, it's, it's something else to fact, the fact that, you know, these people are there to go out to save us if we get in trouble and it doesn't matter if it's Christmas Eve or if it's a random Tuesday or whatever, there's people like, you know, from Fish and Game and from the volunteer services that will go out and help. What do you two think about the, um, the contrast between the attention that Emily got and the attention this one got? I think that anytime you have a prolonged search that goes over multiple days, the the tension and the stakes go get significantly larger. Like I go, I think back mm-hmm. to that search that was the the guy that got lost in the Pemi. Oh yeah, and how all eyes were on that. Sure. I think once you hit, and also the Musilagi, once you hit day three, everything peaks. And so if you can do, if you have that three day search. Everything peaks, and that's why you get the um, the media Intense. attention. Yeah. I think in Emily's case, I think it was even more heartbreaking, just because the timing, um, the timing, and the the fact that it's uh, you know not to say that the, the you know the gentleman that died on the ridge was a young person as well, but a very young person like Emily mm-hmm. with her whole life ahead of her. I know for me, you know, same age as my daughter could have been my daughter. Um, I think that it just resonates with people and it really is, you know, a heartbreaking tragedy. But I think at the end of the day, the difference between these two is simply the scale of the search, the fact that there was volunteer teams out there and then the timing and the amount of time it took to actually locate her. Yeah. Not to mention they found her on her birthday. Um, You know, and I also have a, a, my son's going to be 18 next month. So it just resonates really hard 
with um, anybody in this community. It was a tough one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I see your point. It's like, you know, these do happen and they, they it seems like they get uneven levels of sort of media attention and response from the hiking community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think like if you compare Emily's situation to the incident that happened in Musalaki and the incident that happened on the PEMI, I think that they got similar amounts of sort of atten- media attention and reaction from people. And it, it's hundred percent has to do with the length of the time that it takes for the search teams to find the person. Yeah. It, it is interesting though. The, um, the individual's, uh, context, like the Musalak search with, uh, the young student there, that was mother's day weekend. He was graduating. So there are all those different external factors that people add into the story to make it become so much bigger and, uh, just more gripping, it's a very interesting point. Chris Staff was interesting. Um, yep. What was it about Chris Staff? I mean, that was a five to six day search. He was an older gentleman. But beyond that, was there anything else that stood out in terms of the social dynamic or any particular things? I can't quite recall. I mean, I have to go back in time. I think it's just like rife for people to speculate mm. and say like, okay, let's think this through. I want to be an armchair detective. Have they looked everywhere? Um, yeah. You know, I think it's just it's just these searches. And that's the thing that I wonder what Fish and Game should think about. Like, okay, is there a different media strategy or is there a different approach that we need to take around um, – you know, letting people know that searches are going on. Like, do we hold off on announcing that a search is happening for a little while longer if we think that this is going to take some time? That way you're not dealing with a bunch of like weird activity on social media or the the regular news media. Because I do think there was some stuff in the Emily Satolo situation where the media gave, you know, correct information, but they didn't they could have given more details or it, it, it wasn't helpful. You know, there's a lot of speculation about like, what, did she or didn't she have something on um, when she got dropped off as far as a headlamp goes? And there was all this speculation. I think none of that stuff helps. Um, no. The early news reports, I think, just, just spin things up. Yeah. And people on social media just grab onto those little details and absolutely blow them up. You know, you have people out in the field looking for things <laughs> that you may or may not have even had. Yeah. Yeah. It just gets a little weird. I think time is a, it, time is the enemy when it comes to search and rescue. Um, and that's, that's the answer. Mm. Um, all right, stop. So a couple of other search and rescue cases here in the news, there was um, in Tennessee, there was a rescue for two Appalachian Trail hikers that were stranded in a remote area of Johnson City on New Year's Eve. They were, um, there was a crew with a, um, an assault helicopter battalion in Knoxville was dispatched to the Sampson Mountain Wilderness Area on New Year's Eve. And I guess the hikers were stranded in the darkness of night and surrounded by cliffs and drop-offs. So um, they got a call from help. And um, I guess this helicopter ended up heading out around 8 a.m. Hikers were located at 8.45 and lifted into the aircraft at 9 a.m. So they were transported to 
Johnson Medical Center where they recovered from minor injuries. So mm-hmm. I don't really know that area. Lynn, have you hiked in that that particular area on the Smokies, it looks like? I have not been in the Smoky Mountains. No, I don't. I have not. Okay. So anyway, these two Appalachian Trails. Other than just a heads up for both of you, if you on oh, the listeners too, there are people starting the Appalachian Trail right mm-hmm. now. Um, some people that were like, oh, we're going to start on January 1st or whatever. 101% of these folks are probably not going to make it, but you know, maybe you'll get lucky with one. I already saw one guy that was like, he did three miles on the approach trail and tapped out. That's so an early start. A Jeez. lot of like, a lot of like dreams right now that are going to get crushed. <laughs> wow. The the only other person I've seen do a start like that was uh, Scott Benerof. Um I was just going to mention that, Lynn, because I saw your pictures. Yeah. How, how was he in person? Nice kid. Oh, man. You know what? Meeting everybody there, meeting Phil, meeting Scott, it was just incredible to, you know, hear their stories, get, you know, get a little personal with them and just, you know, you see them and you kind of see the big things they're doing, but they're also just really great humans. So. Mm hmm. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, Scott's another level, but I think he's he's one in a million. But um, I do think a lot of the the through hikers that plan on starting in like January are just you're not making the greatest decision. But we'll see. <laughs> Maybe someone will prove me wrong. If you're listening, let me know. Um, this next one here. So flashing phone light leads rescuers to a hiker story. lost after dark. Yeah. Hawaii officials say. What's Interesting that story. Yeah, it is. So, and it is interesting. A couple of notes. First of all, my daughter Caroline is in Hawaii for eight weeks for school. So she's been sending me pictures as we've been talking. Um, she did a six day, a six mile hike today. So hmm. she's seeing awesome views. She's like working on in some like um, botanical garden place. Wow. I don't know if you can see. Um, but yeah, like the mountains are just amazing. There are there's a so, lot of activity in Hawaii. Like for search and rescue, it's there amazing. Um, but yeah, hopefully she won't make the news. But a hiker, um, and I'm going to have her on the show. She's going to. I've given her an assignment to do every hike that she can on the island, and then she's going to come on and do a show on on hiking in Hawaii. I want to hear about the Kona Trail. Mm. The Kona. What island is that on? I think it's the Big Island, or well, the no, big one, yeah. she's on. She's in Honolulu, so I don't know what island that is. Yeah. But anyway, in this case, a hiker became lost after dark. She used a flashlight light from his cell phone to lead rescuers to his location. The 43-year-old hiker had been hiking for eight hours, became lost after nightfall um, on January 2nd. He called 911 after 7 p.m. According to the fire department, his cell phone battery had 40% life left, and it was imperative that he conserve the energy from it so his cell phone light could be used to find mm-hmm. him. Um, during an aerial search. So rescuers located him just after 8 o'clock with geolocation from his phone and him assisting by flashing his cell phone light. Isn't that cool? So the man had no injuries and was taken to a nearby landing Hmm. zone. So he got a helicopter ride too. So there's your uh, cool little tip. If you do have cell phone battery left, you can use your light as a little beacon. Yep. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think our plan is we're going to go out to Hawaii this summer as a family, go back. So she's doing her school thing right now, kind of learning all about the island, and then we're going to go back, and she'll be our tour guide, mm-hmm. and we'll do some crazy nice. things. So, 
Yeah, should be good. Um, this next one is a um, social media influencer slash hiker um, out in California. Um, she ended up dying on a slide from Baldy Mountain. So I got a couple of like, so Martin reached out to me to give me a little bit of background on this. And then our friend Al also reached out to give a little bit of background on this location. But um, this was a California mother of four. And I saw some of her videos and she looks like so full of life and such a happy person. It's such a tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, But her name is Crystal Paula Gonzalez Landos. And she's 56 years old. She was hiking on the icy Baldy Bowl on Mount Baldy when she slid an estimated 500 to 700 feet. Uh, And um, it's brutal. And she did a video of apparently the way Martin explained it to me is there's like a couple of different treacherous sections. It's sort of like Tuckerman Ravine for us is there's a couple of sort of no-fall zones that you don't want to mess around in. And she was dealing with a lot of snow the video that she took right before she fell was another like section that was sketchy. Snow was kind of running down on her. It looked like she had micro spikes on, but not crampons. It sounded like she was po- posting an axe into the uh, the ground as she was going by. But um, apparently, she just she went down this steep and icy hillside, surrounded by a bunch of other hikers that were around. They all went to assist, but it was just loose snow. I don't know if she was buried in a in sort of a landslide as she went down or a snow slide when she went down, but um, they were able to sort of respond with a, a rescue helicopter to hoist her out. But unfortunately, she succumbed to her injury, injuries before she could get to the hospital. So um, I'll post the article in, in also the video so that people can kind of see the conditions. But she even she even called out how sketchy it was. And she just, I don't know if she was taking a video when she slipped or if she just dumb luck or whatever, but, you know, she was pretty experienced and been out there, knew what she was, she knew the risk out there, but unfortunately it's just yeah. didn't go her way. I'm reading the, uh, the public commentary underneath the story and, um, the, the predominant theme is, uh, selfie takes another life essentially. Yeah. Which is it's dangerous yeah, for sure. Story, um, you got to be careful when you're videoing. And I don't know if that's what happened here, but there was definitely a lot of chatter in the different local hiking groups around that. Yeah. Hmm. Sad. So, very sad. And then um, there was another article that we pulled here Hiker Lost in British Columbia. And this person was, I think Al had sent this to us, so thanks, Al, if you're listening. Um, 6 p.m. on January 8th, the Kelowna Royal Canadian Mounted Police received an SOS call from a snow biker that had ridden into a ravine and become stuck Hmm. after damaging their snow bike. So they called on the local search and rescue team to extract the snow biker. It turned out that the call actually involved like three people that had gotten caught in this ravine. Uh, they had 10 members and three snowmobile club members go out with searchers. They had the coordinates of the first SOS call. Uh, when they got out there, the search was complicated because the subjects were actually moving further into the ravine trying to find a way out. Uh, but they kept getting into more and more difficult terrain. So the search and rescue team's like, when you send a distress signal with your coordinates, you got to stay where those coordinates are. Right. So due to the deep snow and location, it took them a bunch of extra hours to search 
and find these people. So basically, they were like running away from their search team. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. interesting. And then um, one more here. So lost woman found in Salisbury. Um, is this Salisbury, New Hampshire? Is that a town? I don't even know. Salisbury, um, um, yeah, southern, southeast part of uh, the state. Is it? Okay. Uh, we have Salisbury, Mass. I didn't know Salisbury, New Hampshire. But anyway, um, 54-year-old woman was dropped off along Warner Road by her husband in a wooded area. She wanted to find some pine branches and wood pieces to use for home decoration. The husband had planned to stay in the car and wait. She didn't come back at dusk, so he went looking for her. Unfortunately, he was unable to locate her, so he called for assistance. Um, Conservation officers were able to follow her tracks until they located her about a mile from where she started. She was cold but uninjured. She was appreciative but didn't know how to get back to the road and didn't have any light source. So Hmm. she's brought back to Warner Road around 630. The husband was probably thanking thanking his lucky stars because if she didn't show up, they were all going to be blaming him in that scenario. So... No light source. Yeah, exactly. And then last but not least, um, there's a proposal um, put out by Fishing Game, I think, for um, a law where it would give Fishing Game the power to revoke a driver's license in order to collect hiking rescue debt. So if you got in trouble and you got fined and you didn't pay that fine... Mm-hmm. then they would, fishing game would be able to confiscate your license so you wouldn't be able to renew your license until you paid it off. So mm-hmm. um, Colonel Kevin Jordan, who heads fishing game, um, I guess he was involved in um, in this. He said that um, the current language is vague and not enforceable. So they wanted to put in new legislation and they said currently Fishing Game is seeking payments of about $80,000 in 20 cases that date back more than two years. So, interesting. ACLU's in on it and they oppose the bill. Yep. Yeah, they oppose it. They said there's no evidence that pursuing the debt this way will lead to more prompt payment, taking someone's right to drive. So ACLU is always going to come down on the side of like, you take away someone's license, they're not going to be able to make a living. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they, don't, they don't like those sort of like perpetual debt punishments. So, um, but the Senate panel did vote for nothing to recommend passage of the v- bill. Um so we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. Um, it says this is kind of a last resort option for them, but I mean the numbers are so small on this. I don't. I don't know. I mean, if they're not going to pay the fine, like I, I, I got a feeling you're going to take the license. You're just going to drive around without a license. <laughs> <laughs> then they're going to go to jail when they get arrested. So it's just the perpetual like, who knows? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Almost seems like a merging of uh, state police powers and uh, fishing game. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I got it. I mean, they're basically treating it like an unpaid speeding ticket. Like if you don't pay your speeding ticket, you're going to have the same issue. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no different, I guess. So if you look at it that way, then yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're more than fair. I mean, they do have payment plans and everything else. Um, I mean, yeah. there's no reason. Yeah. I was surprised they had 20 cases, um, but 
who knows, maybe the stuff we don't hear about. 20 billables. Yes. Right. Right. That was this year, I believe. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so last thing, I just want to remind everyone, it's the beginning of the year. Get your hike safe card. Help help uh, fund fishing game and, and cover yourself just in case you do end up in the newspaper. You, you They can at least say you got your hike safe card. George Pelletier on the Facebook group won't make fun of you. So. Oh, my right. gosh. It's worth it. So, you guys, I brought with me a uh, hiking related tick joke. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna f- so Let's go. I was almost done with the show, and then she brings up a tick joke. Oh, okay, <laughs> you're just warming my heart, Lynn. I mean, there's no possible way that this will be good, but continue. <laughs> okay, all right. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Yep. How do ticks get around? How? They. Hitchhike. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Tick okay. Club. Lynn, that's awesome. Okay. That was totally unplanned, by the way. Lynn, you were never invited back. <laughs> <laughs> Who says I want to come back? <laughs> All right. Oh, touche. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lynn. It was awesome. Of course, you're invited oh, back. And, um, <laughs> We're at two hours here, so we're going to call it a day, and we'll see you next week. Listeners, one other thing is if you have any questions, we'll post this on the Instagram page, but you any questions for Ty Gagney when he comes in next week, send them our way. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll ask him whatever you want to find out. So looking forward awesome. to Awesome. Till next time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.